Today is April 24th, 2016. The title of today's message is Distinction. Distinction. The reason I had Judah and Tara share, there's a distinction when God's people go somewhere. As far as we know, it's the first time in Brazoria County Jail history that there's going to be a baptism on on the campus, right? On the grounds, right? First ever. ever. We have women who have been moved by the power of God and are now basically being the church, having church without an external form coming in and, and showing them how to do it. This shows the power of God. This is exactly what is supposed to be happening. And we can rejoice in that. Let's turn to Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12. I want to talk to you today about distinction. Everybody say distinction. Distinction. We have so many folks here. I'm going to explain what distinction is. Distinction means there's got to be a difference. And in our case, there's got to be a difference between us and what we do, and the rest of the world. If there's no distinction, they won't be able to tell us from the world around us. So we're talking about having a distinction in Christ. Let's turn to Exodus chapter 12. And uh, I had this thought about distinction going on in my mind and my heart for a few days now. I got here this morning. It's our custom that we get here on Sunday mornings. The pastors, when Pastor Eric is here, we get here at 6 a.m. And... uh, and we prepare for a sermon together. Your pastors prepare sermons together. That's how we do it. Not that we don't come with thoughts and with prayer and maybe with a whole list of scriptures already, but this is how we do it. While I was here this morning, I had actually texted Pastor Eric in Romania. Um, and, and before I left the house, or as I was leaving the house, and I texted him and said, hey, here's what we're thinking about teaching on today. Hope you guys already had great services, because they're eight hours ahead, so they're in the evening time right now. Hope you guys had incredible services. Here's what we're thinking about. Just wanted to share it with you. And I said this topic, and I got here, and Pastor Matt said, hey, you know what today is, right? And I was like, yeah, it's Sunday. (laughs) He's like, yes. And on the Jewish calendar, this is the beginning of Passover slash unleavened bread, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. You know what the Feast of Unleavened Bread is really about? helping us to make a distinction in our lives. The calendar date that we have right now, we're going to look at a few examples here from the Bible that shows us that uh, we are distinct people and we are to be that. Exodus chapter 12 and starting in verse 14. If you're new to our church, we get to a passage and we usually say there because we're meaning not only are we there physically, but we're also there ready to receive from the Lord. So you can feel comfortable to say that or not, but that's what we're doing uh, when we get to a different passage. So Exodus twelve fourteen says this, This is a day you are to commemorate. For the generations to come, you shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. This is something important that God set out for the children of Israel to do. For seven days, everybody say seven days. Seven days. You are to eat bread made without yeast. On the first day, remove the yeast from your houses. For whoever eats anything with yeast in it from the first day through the seventh day must be cut off from Israel. Okay, so here's what's going to happen. Exodus 12 is the Exodus. It is the actual point in the story where they're about to leave Egypt. They're about to 
kill the sacrificial lamb. They're about to apply its blood to the doorpost. They're about to walk out the next morning, and on that next morning it's supposed to be a special day. They're going to commemorate it throughout the entire history. They actually still celebrate it to this day, literally. Today, as of 6 p.m. last night, they began to celebrate this festival. Okay, so I'm, I'm trying to put it, I think it's really kind of neat that the Lord has allowed some of these biblical feasts and festivals to occur on days that we've gathered this year. The Day of Atonement was on a, was on a service that we shared together. Uh, Yom Kippur. We talked about uh, the Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year. We were here together for Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles. We were here together for the celebration of Purim. We are here now together today. It's almost like God's trying to teach us some things, right? Uh, and, I, and like I said, I have to be super honest with you. I had no idea. I, had, I thought about it at one point within the last couple of weeks. I kind of knew, and then I lost track of time. And Pastor Matt had to remind me, hey, today is the day. And I was like, Lord, look what you're doing. Lord, you're, you're doing things that are just, as long as we can listen to the Lord and stay in step with the Spirit, let me encourage you. You don't have to be very smart to do this. Amen. I would love to be able to tell you that I've been planning this for weeks and, and this was all part of a great strategy that I have. I was just trying to listen to the Lord and I think He gave me the right message for today and it confirmed it in my heart because even on a Jewish calendar, not an American calendar, not a Gregorian calendar or a Julian calendar, but on the Jewish calendar, this is the day that they're celebrating exactly what we're reading here in Exodus 12. That's kind of cool. This is really neat. This is pertinent. This is something that God is using as an object lesson to help us learn this today. So what we see here is they get through the Passover. They're about to leave. And we know how that looks. The death angel comes. And because of the blood on the doorpost, the death angel passes over that house. The death does not come into the homes that are covered by the blood. And then immediately they go out. But what they're supposed to start doing immediately thereafter. And truthfully, when you look at calendars, sometimes this week we'll just say the fe- it's the Feast of Passover. Because they just incorporate Passover and unleavened bread and first fruits. All are happening kind of simultaneously. So you may see it on some calendars as just Passover. You may see it on some calendars as just unleavened bread. But this is what they're celebrating here. But look what it says. So they get through and the immediate thing that they're supposed to do next is on the first day, remove the yeast from your houses. For whoever eats anything with yeast in it from the first day through the seventh must be cut off from Israel. Now wait a minute. You were just saved from the Egyptians. You had been enslaved to the Egyptians for 400 years. You're coming out. And you know what the first thing you have to do with? Is deal with yeast or leaven. <laughs> we get saved. And you know what the first thing that we have to be after, we get, after salvation comes and inhabits our lives? You know what the first thing we have to deal with? Is the yeast and the leaven in our own lives. We're going to look at some things of exactly what these things represent. But as a big picture, yeast represents sinful ways in us. Little bits of, little bits of wrong thinking. Little bits of bitterness. Oh, I didn't really, I mean, I'm a pretty forgiving person, but that guy, not going to forgive him. Just a little bit. Just enough gets in there. And it's saying, if you eat of this, it actually causes a separation from you and the entirety of the assembly. It causes a separation, but in a bad way, right? So let's look in in Exodus 13. Turn the page there. 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 
Exodus 13. And let's start in verse 6. On that day, tell your son, oops, I'm sorry, that's eight, verse six. For seven days, eat bread made without yeast, and on the seventh day, hold a festival to the Lord. Eat unleavened bread during those days. Bread without yeast, bread without leaven, unleavened bread. Nothing with yeast in it is to be seen among you. There's supposed to be a distinction. Not only is it not supposed to be in your home, it's not supposed to be anywhere in the group that you're in. Don't even let it be seen among you. Nor shall any yeast be seen anywhere within your borders. <laughs> Don't you love it? It, it? It's expounding upon this idea. You've got to go and search your house. It was customary for the Jewish people. They would take, the father would take a candle, would take a light and go throughout the house and search for it. They would search for any leaven, any yeast. And they would go look and they would, they would say a prayer to the Lord. <laughs> King of the universe, we, we are here before you. We are going to get rid of the yeast before you. They go through and they search, and it was a, it was a, it's a thing that they do. The whole family we get together and search. You know why? Because they don't want to be cut off from the people of Israel. So every year at this time they do the same thing. We're going to get, uh, we're going to get deacon, and we're going to go look, and we're going to hold his hand, and it's kind of a part of their culture to go. It's important that we as a family make sure that there's not even a little part of sin that's in this home. And if everybody does the same thing, you know what happens. What it, sees, what it is here. It's not to be seen among us. It's not to be within our borders. Huh. God must be drawing a distinction between us and other people. Verse 8. On that day, tell your son, I do this because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. This observance will be for you like a sign on your hand. Everybody say a sign. A sign. And a reminder on your forehead. Everybody say Reminder. How many of you need little reminders? I, I have my phone with me and I'll say, remind me when I get home to call this person. Okay, wait, thanks. And it sets a little reminder and then when my GPS gets home, it says, call such and such. Thank you because I completely forgot. There's something about being distinct. There's something about searching for leaven that we have to be reminded of. We have to be reminded of it in an ongoing fashion. Because it will be a sign on our hand, a reminder on our forehead that the law of God is to be on our lips. Realize these are all things that mark us. Sign on our hand, a reminder, something that's on our lips. It's saying it should be seen in our lives. For the Lord brought you out of Egypt with His mighty hand. You must keep this ordinance at the appointed time, year after year after year. Turn to Leviticus chapter 23. So we're in Exodus. Now we're going one book over. Leviticus chapter 23. Let's start in verse 4. It says this. These are the Lord's appointed feasts, the sacred assemblies you are to proclaim at their appointed times. The Lord's Passover begins at twilight on the 14th day of the first month. So if we, go back, if we would have gone back in Exodus 12, we could have read about this. It would have said, take a lamb on the 10th day of the month. And what they were to do is examine the lamb. They were supposed to take it into their home and everybody was supposed to look. And you examined it to see if there was any flaws in this lamb. It became like a pet to you. You brought it into the house and on the 14th day, because the blood had to be applied to the doorpost, 
you would offer that lamb as a sacrifice. Just so happens that Jesus entered Jerusalem on the 10th day of the same month. He was offered as a sacrifice on the 14th day of the month. Then they had a special festival, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. That's why they had to take Jesus off of the cross and get him in a tomb because the next day was a special Sabbath. Unleavened bread. He stayed in the tomb for three days and three nights, a full 72 hours. And before Sunday, when you would offer the offering of first fruits, when you would wave a grain offering to the Lord, he is out of the tomb. This is a picture that keeps repeating itself over and over in their history. Verse 6 On the 15th day of the month, of that month, the Lord's Feast of Unleavened Bread begins. For seven days you must eat bread made without yeast. On the first day, hold a sacred assembly and do no regular work. Everybody say, no regular work. A Sabbath is an idea for you to do no regular work. You know why? Because we're going to say, Lord, you can do more with our lives if we give you a full six days and we take one day and say, we're not going to do anything regular. We're not going to do regular work. We're not going to burden ourselves with the things that we've burdened with for the last six days. We're going to trust that you, the God of all creation, can cause the world to keep spinning around without me doing regular work. Seems kind of silly when I put it that way, doesn't it? If you're like me, sometimes you have trouble with that, doing no regular work on the seventh day. Because you've got things to do, and you've got a few more emails to shoot out. And you just, just, just a little bit, just a little bit, I'll just get to it. God's saying, hey, there's, there's a principle here that I'm trying to get you to understand. Verse 7, For seven days present an offering made to the Lord by fire. And on the seventh day, hold a sacred assembly and do no regular work. How are these people getting anything done? Do no regular work here. Take a few days. Do more, no more regular work here. God is teaching them a principle that there is work that they're supposed to be doing. It's just His work versus their own. We're in Leviticus. Turn to Numbers chapter 9. I'm, I'm building something here. We're going somewhere. Stay with me. Numbers chapter 9. Starting in verse 1. Numbers chapter 9. So we started off in Exodus, the second book in the Bible. We went to Leviticus. Now we're in Numbers. You can take a hand at the next one that I'm going to have you read, right? We're just walking through the law here. Numbers chapter 9, verse 1 says this. The Lord spoke to Moses in the desert of Sinai in the first month of the second year they came out of Egypt. He said, Have the Israelites celebrate the Passover at the appointed time. Celebrate it at the appointed time at twilight on the 14th day of this month in accordance with all its rules and regulations. Verse 6. But some of them could not celebrate the Passover on that day because they were ceremonially unclean on account of a dead body. Interesting. So they came to Moses and Aaron that same day and said to Moses, We have become unclean because of a dead body, but why should we be kept from presenting the Lord's offering with the other Israelites at the appointed time? So what you have here is you've got a conflict of two rules in their their culture. One says if you're unclean, you're not able to go into the house of the Lord. If you've been defiled somewhere, if you were in a room with, a, with a, someone who had died, maybe it was a loved one and you're trying to pay homage and respect, that made you unclean and you had to become clean before you could go back into the house of the Lord. So I, I'm supposed to go to the house of the Lord, but I've been ceremonially defiled. How, how do I do this? What is the provision that's going to be made here? So then Moses answered them, wait until I find out what the Lord commands concerning you. Don't you love a leader who'll just say, I don't know. 
I don't know the answer. Let me go pray. I'll have an answer for you. Hang tight. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites, When any of you or your descendants are unclean because of a dead body or away on a journey, they may still celebrate the Lord's Passover. They are to celebrate it on the 14th day of the second month. He gives them a 30-day reprieve. The way I want it done is the 14th day of the first month. Unleavened bread starts on the 15th day. If something happens and you can't, then I've made provision for you. I'm going to explain that in just a second. They are to eat the lamb together with the unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Verse 12, they must not leave any of it till morning or break any of its bones. This is just regulations they had. When they celebrate the Passover, they must follow all the regulations. But if a man who is ceremonially clean on a, not on a journey fails to celebrate the Passover, that person must be cut off from his people because he did not present the Lord's offering at the appointed time. <laughs> well, it sounds like at first that you think that God's going to go slack on the rules, right? I'm telling you to do it this way. Eh, there's some exceptions. You people, you can do it the second month. But what he's doing is he's not compromising on the adherence to his rules. He's trying to give you access to his presence. There's an adherence issue. You've got to continue. If you weren't there or if you were ceremonially unclean, you know what he did? He said, you can do it a month later, but you know how you have to do it? Exactly like everybody else had to do it. Exactly the same. You couldn't, you couldn't break any laws. You couldn't do it in a different way. He's giving you time to make sure that you can access his presence. He didn't say any month on that day. He said, this is what I've provided for. You still have to adhere. Everybody say adhere. adhere. You have to do what I said, but I want to give you access. Everybody say access. access. This is a huge concept for us to get. God never makes excuses for how we must adhere to his word. If we're talking about grace, if we're talking about forgiveness, if we're talking about something where we're going in there and we're saying, hey, it appears this way, I can assure you it's an, ac- it's a, it's an issue of access, not adherence to His Word. Oh, that was good. I don't care whether you like it or not. That was good. Yeah, you might be writing it down because that was... This will help you when you're talking to your friends that say, hey, God can do, we can do it any way we want because God's just like cool like that. He's cool. Uh, okay. He's also the king of the universe, and if he says to do it a certain way, you've got to do it his way. And I'm going to guess that if he's allowed you to do it some of the way, it's because he's trying to be merciful to you and allow you access, not lower his standard because you decided not to be there. Because what was said here is if you are there and you're not unclean and you don't do it, there's no excuse for you. You're to be cut off. Just like if you chose not to do it in the first place. Wow. So it's not about adherence, it's about access. Deuteronomy chapter 16. I'm sneaky like that, right? Just going to go right down through. Deuteronomy chapter 16. Starting in verse 1. Observe the month of Abib. It's also the month of Nisan, right? We're not used to these names. And celebrate the Passover of the Lord your God because in the month of Abib, He brought you out of Egypt by night. Sacrifice as the Passover to your Lord your God, your God an animal from your flock. <laughs> Don't go get your friend's flock. I now sacrifice Chris, his car. I give it to you, Lord. It's a nice car, I think. It's not going to cost me anything, but Chris, boy, what a great guy. 
It's funny because someone would have figured that out over the years, so the Lord has to give the instructions. Go get something from your flock. Oh, okay, thanks. Or herd at the place the Lord will choose as a dwelling for his name. Do not eat it with bread made with yeast. There it is again, unleavened bread. But for seven days eat unleavened bread, the bread of affliction, because you left Egypt in haste. Wait a minute. Do you know why the unleavened bread was there to start with? Back in Exodus 12, it says it. They were about to leave and they didn't have time to put yeast in the bread so it would rise. They've got to, they were supposed to tuck their cloak in their belt and think of a toga, more of a, a long thing, and they would tuck it in their belt. Why? So they can get going and they can move out. Tuck it in their belt, have the staff in their hand, and be ready to, to, be ready to go. So the whole idea of unleavened bread is, you know why? You don't, we don't have time to have yeast in our lives. Ain't nobody got time for that. <laughs> the truth is, is you don't have time for that. You've got somewhere that the Lord is telling you to be. You've got a purpose in your life. You don't have time to sit around and let's just see what this yeast will do in our lives because it really does make it... I have to be honest with you. Uh, there are restaurants and they have those yeast rolls. Oh. What the butter. Oh. They're so good. There's something appealing. There's something really, really appealing and appetizing about things that have yeast in it. Huh. It's almost like there, are some, there is an allure to sin. Of course there is. Sin has no power on me. Absolutely. And there's an allure to sin. Moses chose rather to suffer the affliction of the, of the righteous people than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. says in Hebrews. Of course there are pleasures in sin. They just cause you death. You can either enjoy that or you can choose the unleavened bread. You can choose to get every bit of yeast out of your life and live the life that He's got for you, which is much better. But there is an appeal. There's something that's really appealing about the way that yeast, it feeds our flesh in a way that's just kind of unlike anything else. Just like sin does. Verse 3, do not eat bread made with yeast, but for seven days eat unleavened bread, the bread of affliction, because you left Egypt in haste, so that all the days of your life you may remember the time of your departure from Egypt. As believers, we can remember our time of departure from the world. You should be able to remember when God changed your life. If you can't remember it, then let me encourage you, it may not have happened to you. Oh, that's so hard. No, I'm just... If if the Scripture is real and if it's true, if you can't remember a time that you were walking in darkness and are now in the light, let me encourage you. Let me implore you. Perhaps you should seriously consider. Verse 4, Let no yeast be found in your possession in all your land for seven days. Do not let any of the meat you sacrifice on the evening of the first day remain until morning. You must not sacrifice the Passover in any town the Lord your God gives you, except in the place He will choose as a dwelling for His name. There. Everybody say there. There. It matters to God how you do things. You must sacrifice the Passover in the evening when the sun goes down on the anniversary of your departure from Egypt. Roast it and eat it in the place the Lord your God will choose. Then in the morning, return to your tents. For six days, eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day, hold an assembly to the Lord your God and do no work. Take a look at verse 16 in the same chapter. 
Three times a year, all your men must appear before the Lord your God at the place he will choose, at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of the Weeks, and the Feast of Tabernacles. Listen listen to this phrase. No man should appear before the Lord empty-handed. Each of you must bring a gift in proportion to the way your God has blessed you. I don't have time to teach on this today. Uh, I'm not going to take the time. I guess I do, technically. But I'm not going to take the time to teach on this today. We must, when we come before the king, we are supposed to have a gift in hand. We are not supposed to show up before the Lord with nothing to offer. Now, the great part of this is this verse that's on the screen. Each of you must bring a gift in proportion to the way that the Lord your God has blessed you. In proportion to the revelation that you have. In proportion to the calling that you have. The standard is, he's saying, I'm going to let you come with what you have. But you have to bring something. It's not part of our culture anymore that some of us do it, depending on the age of the people, right? You're supposed to show up. If you're going to come over and visit someone's house, it's customary, youngins, it's customary that you bring something. You know, it's, you know what happens in our day? We offer. We say, hey, what do you want us to bring? And you know what most of us do? No, man, don't worry about it. No, we don't want it to be a burden on you. Just come on over. Well, amen. We're trying to fellowship. We don't want to let expense be a problem. When we come to the Lord, He's not going to say, hey, don't worry about it. You're expected, when the lesser comes to a greater especially, we should have a gift that we bring. Why? Because we're recognizing who it is. The King of all creation. He's given us life. He's given us breath. If He doesn't allow us to, we don't take the next breath. So we gladly give Him something. And it's in proportion. I don't have to be measured against what Steve can bring. I'm measured against what I'm supposed to bring. Well, that, to me, that is both reassuring and completely scary. Because he knows exactly how much I have. He knows exactly what I should be able to bring. Okay, now I know none of you guys in here, but, uh, you know, I've heard of people who are regifters. Okay, so I was a school teacher for years. As a band director, I would get all kind of gifts. And they all had little apple things on them. Because you're a teacher, so clearly you must get a gift with an apple. <laughs> Here's a little gold apple paperweight, Mr. Sutherland. Oh, thank you so much. All right. Here's a tablet with apples and teachers are great. Oh, thank you so much. Right? So we would, have, we would literally have like bags full. It would take me multiple trips from my office to the car to get all of these apple-centric gifts home. Now, somehow, all the gifts, I quit getting gifts when I became an assistant principal. When I became the disciplinarian, somehow, not as many gifts. Had one kid who'd like bring you a plate of cookies, and you're like, I'm not going to eat that. Poison cookies. (laughs) He brought you an apple. (laughs) I'm sure you did. I've seen Snow White. I know what happens here. Not going to fool this guy. We're not supposed to come empty-handed. What are you bringing to the Lord? We know what He's brought to us. He's given us life and health and joy and happiness. And we've exchanged all of our sin for all of His glory. What are you bringing to the Lord? It may be like the boy in the New Testament who only brought five loaves and two fish. This is what I've got. Jesus gladly accepted it and fed 5,000. 
You may be like the poor widow who come in and gave her last two pennies. And Jesus Christ saw it and said, that's what I'm talking about. We don't need you to tip God here in this church. Actually, for some of you, if you would tip God, you'd probably be, maybe give more. Some, for some people, they would give more because they'll give a waiter 20% and they'll balk at giving God 10%. Right? A tithe in the Bible is our, it's 10%. We don't pass an offering plate here. You know why? Because we don't expect you to feel obligated. We have an offering box over to the side. We know that it's our duty as believers that we give not only 10%. I make it a part of what we do as a family to say we're going to give the first 10%. Before I pay the bills, before I know if we have enough money for milk and eggs, we give our first 10%. 10%. You know why? Because we don't want to come before the Lord empty-handed. We're going to give Him a lot more than our money. And truth is, is we're going to give him more than 10% because that's just the minimum. Amen. We're going to bless his people. We're going to give more. But that's the minimum. That's, that's the least that we're going to bring before him. Amen. And so we're going to make sure that it's our first part of that that we hand to him. Amen. Because he has blessed us and in proportion to that. We've done Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. In Genesis, we won't, I won't make you turn there for time's sake. Lot actually prepares a meal He prepares bread without yeast for the angels that come to visit him. You see unleavened bread concept even before there was a feast of unleavened bread. You see it in every book of the law. Maybe it's God that's trying, he's trying to teach us something about this to say, um, this this is important. This This is a big matter. Turn to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. Start in verse 6. Matthew 16, 6. says this. Be careful, Jesus said to them. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. They discussed this among themselves and said, it's because we didn't bring any bread. I love the Bible. I love it. Because if I were writing the Bible... I would have said like all the the pillars, the men, the mighty men of history that everyone should emulate. I would not tell you how silly they were sometime. I would hide that from you, right? Jesus says, hey guys, be careful of the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. This is important. I want you to understand it. And they're like, okay. Hey, is he mad at us because we forgot to bring the loaf of bread that we were supposed to bring? It's actually encouraging to me because I feel like I do that sometimes. The Lord says, do this. And I'm like, are you mad at me because I messed up on the... No. Get the bigger picture here, people. They discussed this among themselves, verse 7, and said, it is because because we didn't bring any bread. (laughs) Verse 8. Aware of their discussion. Thank you, Lord, that you're aware of our silly discussions. (laughs) Jesus asked... You of little faith. Why are you talking among yourselves about having no bread? I'm saying it very uh, frustrated. I'm sorry. I'm not sure if he had frustration or not, but I can imagine going, seriously, people. Do you still not understand? Don't you remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered? 
Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 how many basketfuls you gathered? How is it that you don't understand that I was not talking to you about bread? He's saying, are you worried? You don't think I could just make bread? You handed out bread and it multiplied right before your eyes and you fed thousands and thousands and thousands of people. When he says 5,000, that was just the men in the crowd. Not including the women and kiddos. Let's just go crazy. Let's say it's 20,000 people. And you had, I had a loaf. Steve had a loaf. We, we had a loaf of bread, Charlie, and we're just handing it out and it keeps going. We keep tearing bread off and we're like, well, I mean, how many people can I feed? Apparently I could feed thousands with this one little loaf. He's saying, you think I'm, you think I'm worried because you forgot to buy a loaf of bread from the grocery store? Seriously. But be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees. Those sinful ways and the people who are rulers over you because they're doing things and they've got wrong things in their life. Be careful that you don't look at them and somehow allow it into your life. Be careful of the yeast of the Pharisees. Then they understood that he was not telling them to guard against the yeast used in bread. Hey, by the way, that does make sense though if you think about it, right? They're supposed to be doing the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, so they're like, maybe he means it literally because we literally go look for it in our house. He's saying, yes, I want you to go beyond the literal, beyond the yeast part of this and understand something bigger that's afoot, but against the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. This is also in Luke chapter 12. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And we're going to start in verse verse 6. 1 Corinthians 5, 6. Everybody still with me, right? All right. 1 Corinthians 5, 6 says this, Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough? If you have a little sin in your life, I can assure you at some point it's going to work its way all the way throughout unless you actively seek and remove it. You can't leave small things in your life and and just, hey, look, this is close enough. I mean, really, I'm doing pretty good. I mean, like, I mean, you know, I mean, I really am doing pretty good. No, you're not. The standard of the word says you're not allowed to have yeast in your life. You cannot have, you're supposed to have unleavened bread as a natural part of who you are. Get rid of the old yeast that you may be a new batch without yeast. Huh. It's almost like old things are passed away and behold, all things have become new. Get rid of the old stuff so that you can be a new batch without yeast as you really are. Isn't that awesome? He's not trying to hammer them. He's trying to say, look, what you really are and what you really want to be and what you really know you should be is a batch without yeast. So do this. Get rid of that old junk Let God do something new in your heart. Let the power of the Spirit come in you so that you can be powerful and overcoming this. I'm not saying, you have yeast. I'm saying, get rid of it so you can live life. If you are the type that hears, oh, he's he's telling me I have yeast, hear this. Get rid of that and come into what God has for you. Don't let the enemy keep you over here. Some people go, yes, I'm not supposed to have yeast in my life, but I do. Stop. Get rid of it. I can't. Yes, you can because He's making you new. The power of His Holy Spirit will come upon you. 
have His Holy Spirit indwell you and you have the power to not live that way. You have the power to be distinct from everyone else that's in this world. Yes, you can. Yes, you can absolutely do it. Yes, you can live a holy life. Young men, yes, you can be pure. Yes, you can. Young ladies, yes, you can be pure. Well, I mean, Pastor Wade, I mean, young people got to go sow their wild oats. No, they don't. That's ridiculous. You want me to, be, you want me to say it's okay for you to go have yeast in your life and, and leaven in your life for a little while and then you get over it? That's not the standard of the Word. I can't tell you that. That's wrong. That's a yeast of a teaching that is trying to, as the Bible says, people don't want to, they don't love the truth, so they go find teachers so that their itching ears can be satisfied. We don't say itching ears in our culture. Just tell me what I want to hear. Tell me how great I am. Ooh, say it again. You're right. I am pretty fancy. That's great. Say it again. Right? It's silly when I do it this way, but this is exactly what people do. They gather for themselves churches and they all say, Hey, you're good? Oh, good, I'm good. Hey, hey, we're all good. This is great. And all the while they have yeast that's just working in their life and polluting what the true form of Christianity is. Hey, you're not the version with leaven in it. Let's just get rid of it and come into something new. You have the power to be something new, so why don't we do that? Verse 8, there, uh, verse 7, Get rid of the old yeast that you may be a new batch without yeast as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival not with the old yeast, the yeast of malice and wickedness, but with bread without yeast, the bread of sincerity and truth. Wow. The reason that you get the idea, biblically speaking, that yeast has to do with sinful natures is because as we're reading through, I could do a lot more scriptures, but each, they'll each define it slightly different. In this, you see that yeast is malice and wickedness. In Mark, you saw, I mean, in Matthew, you saw that it was the teachings of the Pharisees and Sadducees. We can go other places and see that it's something else specific, but you know what the whole concept is? It's your sinful nature. It's the things that you're doing that don't please God. We can spell it out very, very specifically, but this is the concept. Turn to James chapter 1. Let's just do one more. James chapter 1. Starting in verse 19. James chapter 1, verse 19. says this, My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen. Everybody say quick to listen. Slow to speak. Everybody say slow to speak. And slow to become angry. Say slow to become angry. How many of your lives would be better if you just followed these rules when you were young? And now? Everybody's like, oh yeah, now. We're not even going to pretend like it was somewhere before, right? If, it, it's almost like the Word of God has instructions for us in every area of our life. We should be quick to listen. If someone has an objection, you do better to listen to their objection. Hmm, I'm going to listen to that. I'm going to consider that. Even if they're younger than you. Even if they do it poorly. Even if they don't know what they're talking about. There are no exclusions. It says be quick to listen. 
slow to speak. I can't tell you how many times I get myself in trouble because this guy is not very slow to speak. (coughs) That's not what I said at all. Oh, my bad. (laughs) And slow to become angry. There are some that are the eruptors. You get angry and everybody knows about it. It's very quick. Some of you guys kind of simmer. It's down inside. There's not a whole lot of bursting out. It's just a lot of boiling over. You get angry just as fast as the guy who blows up. But you just... And you go off and you get mad. And it keeps you up at night. And it boils inside of you. And it just seethes. But you're just as quick to anger as somebody who blows up. So you think you're okay because it doesn't blow up. And you're just like, I'm not quick to anger. get angry. Some of you should really consider that. If you're getting mad because I'm saying that, it's probably you. <laughs> I am not. Okay. You go ahead with that. Verse 20. You know why, that it, that, you know why I give you that instruction? Because verse 20 says this. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. If you're always angry, you're not actually going to get where God has for you to get. Huh. Well, there it is. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth. Wow. Wish the Bible would just say what it really means, right? And the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Humbly accept the word planted in you. It will save you. It will save you from heartache. It will save you from destruction. It will save you from judgment. How about you humbly accept it? Verse 22, Do not merely listen to the Word and so deceive yourselves. Wow. When you listen to the Word and don't do it, you're ingesting deception. You think you know because you heard. We know because we can do. I know what the Bible says when I do what the Bible says. Novel concept. As a school teacher, people would say, hey, Mr. Sullivan, I'm ready for this test. Amen. We'll find out shortly. Mr. Sullivan, I've been practicing. I'm ready for my playing test. Great. The entire room will know if that's true or not in about 15 seconds. Because I'm going to make you play it in front of everybody. Okay. Don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forget what he looks like. But the man who looks intently, everybody say intently, into the perfect law that gives freedom. Isn't that crazy? People say, oh, the law. In the Old Testament, the law was about... What does the New Testament say about the law? It's the law that gives what? Oh, when you know how to operate in your life, you know what it gives you? It gives you freedom. When you know what pleases the Lord and what doesn't, you know what it gives you? It gives you freedom. The world will try, the, the yeast of the Pharisees and the yeast of this world tries to teach you that, man, you Christians have a lot of rules. I have a lot of things that tell me how to live life properly. If you want to call them rules and think that it's bad, I'm saying it gives me freedom because I don't have to guess at what's right anymore. I've tried to figure this out on my own before, and I don't always get it right. Sometimes I get it right, but I'm doing it the wrong way, so it makes it the wrong thing. He tells me how to do it. Man, I feel free. 
But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. Wow. This is this yeast working its way out. Turn to Ezekiel chapter 22. Ezekiel. If you're not used to reading this, this many scriptures in a service, well, just, it's just practice breaking in your Bible, right? Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 26. I take personal um, note of this. Being a person who is called in the fivefold ministry to be a pastor, verses like this uh, get highlighted in my brain very, very quickly because if I don't do things right, this is what the Lord may say to me one day. So I pay attention. Passages like Ezekiel 34 and Ephesians 4, I pay special attention to because they're literally written in black and white and I'm going to have to be held accountable. So I'm sharing them with you. Amen. This is a prophecy against Jerusalem. And it says this, Her priests do violence to my law and profane my holy things. Listen to this next phrase. They do not distinguish between the holy and the common. They teach that there is no difference between the unclean and the clean. And that they shut their eyes to the keeping of my Sabbaths so that I am profaned among them. This is a huge mark against the priests in Jerusalem. They teach them that everything is the same. There's no difference between the holy and the common. Between the clean and the unclean. Hey man, whatever you want to do, because God is full of grace. Wrong? It matters what you do. It matters how you treat people. It matters what you think. You can do the right thing, have the wrong heart, and it become the wrong thing. Let me say that again. You can do the right thing with the wrong heart and it's the wrong thing before the Lord. Um, What do I mean? I'll give you an example from my life. I grew up having a lot of fear. A lot of the decisions I made were based in fear. What are the reasons? It doesn't matter. This, This was... Whatever reasons that I got where I was, I made a lot of decisions based out of fear. So I... uh, I was, um, I am and was a nerd. Came through school, did excellent in school. Had great standardized test scores. Got paid to go to college. They paid me. Here's your scholarship. Here's your free ride. Ah, We'll give them both to you at the same time. (laughs) Thank you. I'll take the money to go to school. This is great. And the things that I was doing was because I was afraid that people would look at me and think that I wasn't smart or that I wasn't worthy. I had a worthy, I had an issue in my heart. And so I was doing things and working hard, but I was doing it so people would see me and approve of me. 4.0 plus. And I was afraid that someone would look at me and think I was stupid. So I was doing some right things. I studied hard. I worked hard. I was a good kid. And I had wrong motives in my heart because the Bible says in Hebrews 11 that without faith, it's impossible to please God. So you know what I was doing? I was doing things in my own strength for my own approval so that everyone else would look at me and think that I was an all right kind of guy. So I was a people pleaser and I didn't do it to please God. Therefore, I don't get credit for many of the things that I achieved in my life. 
I don't get to keep credit for things that could have been done for the glory of God. God, you've given me some skills. I want to give them back to you. Here is my gift in hand. Lord, would you take my life and do whatever you want with it? And it would have been acceptable to him. The things that I once counted as gain, I now have to count them as loss so that my heart can be right about them. So that I can please him. So what are you doing now in your life that may look right on the outside but your heart isn't right about it? It will produce you not pleasing God even if you're doing good things. And you know what people say? They look at that and they go, man, I tried Christianity. You tried Christianity? Really? Tell me what your heart was like when you tried Christianity. Oh, you were expecting the wrong kind of things. You were trying to do this your own way. You were trying to come up before the king of all creation without a gift in hand. Oh, you wanted something from the church and you said it didn't work. So now you're, not, you're just going to bug out on the church. Hey, man, it's not like that. I mean, I, I had things that, that actually happened to me in my life and they were tough. Your heart in the situation matters. Unfortunately, there are no exemptions for the Word of God. There may be an access issue. You may have been through enough things that God says, let's work on this access, but it's not going to be the adherence to my Word. You can't do it the way you want, even if you had a very, very difficult life. There are women who are sold as sex slaves. You know what the standard for them is? Exactly the same standard for us. That may sound harsh, and I'm not trying to be harsh. There are kids who grew up under abuse, terrible things which we should not speak of in mixed company. You know what the standard for them is? It's the same standard for us. It's a righteous standard. The problem isn't with the standard. The problem is with us meeting the standard. If you want to have compassion on someone who's been in a, in a terrible situation, you know what compassion is? Saying, you don't have to be that way anymore. You can come over here to a righteous standard and be healed. Yes. Not, eh, you really don't, look, just kind of come and mouth the kind of a halfway prayer. I'm telling you, you're in a world, you're in a place where you can't get to Him. Let me help you to get to where my God is. This is righteousness. This is what He wants from you. It will be freedom. You may not understand it where you are. Let me help and give you access to the one who can really help you. If I really want to have sympathy for you, I will help you to get to where He is, not to where I think you ought to be because I feel bad for you. How can you say that, Pastor? Because it's truth. I'm a compassionate person. I'm, I'm wired to be soft-hearted. God has made me that way. But I'm not so soft-hearted that I want to allow someone to be non-distinct and think that they're in the kingdom. That's not actually love. That's not being soft-hearted. That's being hard-hearted because I'm selfish enough and I don't want you to think I'm a bad guy. You know what it is? It's me being 17 again and trying to approve, win your approval versus God's approval. I can't, I can't do it. I want to please my Father. And I want you to come with me. 
I don't want you to be the old batch that has yeast in it. I want you to be a new batch. That's what I'm saying. He can make you new. He can absolutely revolutionize. He can transform you. I'm not at, we're not asking for behavioral modification here. We're asking for transformation. We're not saying, would you do this better? Would you be better? Don't cuss. Don't fuss. Don't be bad. I'm saying, get transformed by the power of God. You know what's going to happen? You won't cuss or fuss or be bad. We're going to seek first the kingdom and then everything else gets added to us. I don't need you to clean up the outside. I need you to let God clean up the inside. There's a difference in what we say here. There is a distinction in the words that are coming from my mouth. There's a distinction that is here in this church. It's because we're saying we actually do have compassion for you. You just have to be transformed. I'm not sure if I've been transformed. Well, then today is a good day for you to figure that out. I've been transformed, but this power that you're talking about, today's a good day for you because you can get baptized in the Holy Spirit. Today's a good day for you because you can start walking in gifts that God has actually given you. You can start to demonstrate that the power of God is at work in you, that there is a distinction in your life that is different than the people around you. You know why we, we encourage, why we're so forceful and so what people call forceful about the gifts of the Spirit? We want you to be distinct. We want you to be distinct and be the change agent in your world. Not dominated by other people, but bringing the holiness. In Hebrews 10, it says, it says this as well. It says that they've made... Do you think you'll escape if you make an unholy thing the blood of Christ that has set you free? You think that God's going to allow that to, to slide by you? Here's just a few thoughts. In Genesis 4, we learn the story of Cain and Abel. God was unhappy with Cain and his offering. For many years, I've heard, the, I've heard it preached that God was unhappy with Cain's offering. Well, that is true. That's only part of the truth. Cain had a wicked heart that produced an offering that was unacceptable. If you allow it, he had leaven in his offering. Death. Was the, was the end result of that. In 1 Samuel 2, you get Hophni and Phinehas. Supposed to be priests. They were priests, but unholy, unrighteous men, and they both died in the day of battle on the same day. 1 Samuel 6, they get the ark back from the Philistines on the cart, and 70, at least 70 people looked in the ark because they were like, hey, it's here. Let's take a peek inside. I've heard this is pretty cool. Let's look where the presence of God is supposed to inhabit. They treated something that is holy, they treated it like it was common. You guys ever seen a real fancy car drive by? Or it's parked there? And kind of go look at it because it's, I mean, it's neat. It's like an expensive car, right? You're like, I always make sure I put my hands behind my back in case the guy walks up. Unless he thinks I'm trying to, you know, hijack his car or something. I'm like, wow. We gawk at it because it's something unusual. They gawked at the presence of God like it was some common object. And 70 of them lost their lives. 2 Samuel 6, we get Uzzah. The ark is on a cart. He steadies it. When I was growing up, I always thought that was the mean, that's the meanest thing I can remember in the Bible. Like he's trying to help. The ark of God is about to tump over and he helps it. That's the, way I, that's the way I grew up thinking about it. The Bible says that he had an irreverent act. I don't know if he said something, 
but the, there was irreverent thoughts in his heart, in his mind, and when he touched it to steady it, the power of God came through that and struck him dead. That seems mean, doesn't it? Or it's that there's such a righteous standard. We don't get to play around with God's presence. We don't get to handle it any way we want. We don't get to come in here and demand that God do certain things. We're as bold as they come. We're going to speak in faith and we're going to believe that God will do things in our midst. But you know what we don't do? We don't tell God what to do. We don't treat His presence lightly. We actually treat it with great, great reverence. In Leviticus 10 and in Numbers 3, you get Nadab and Abihu who bring a strange fire and the Lord strikes them. Lest you think this is just Old Testament talk. In Acts chapter 5, we get Ananias and Sapphira who lie to the Holy Spirit. I'm not trying to discourage you. What I'm trying to do is say that there is such a standard. There is a standard that's here. All of these appear to be things, you know, the, the, the common thread is, besides people lost their lives, is it was in, they lost their lives because they were trying to offer something to the Lord. In a moment that was supposed to be honoring the Most High, they did it in a way that did not show that they had distinction in their lives. They did it in a way that proved that they had yeast in their own lives. And when that yeast got into God's presence, it created problems for them. I.e., they lost their lives. The Ark of the Covenant, God's presence, being in God's house, making an offering to Him. That is a common theme with all of those that I just referenced verbally. They were all in an act that was supposed to be holy. We have to be careful. Let's turn to Exodus chapter 8. Exodus chapter 8. Just a few more minutes here with me. Stay, stay with me. Exodus 8, and we're going to start in verse 22. It says this, But on that day, everybody say, on that day. day. I will deal differently with the land of Goshen, where my people live. No swarms of flies will be there. This is in the midst of God sending plagues on Egypt. We know that Exodus 12.12 says that God was pronouncing judgment on the gods of Egypt. The one true living God was was going through and systematically defeating all the gods that Egypt had. Their ten major gods, bam. Each one of the plagues addressed one of those little G gods. But on that day I will deal differently with the land of Goshen where my people live. No swarms of flies will be there so that you will know that I, the Lord, am in this land. I will make a distinction between my people and your people. This miraculous sign will occur tomorrow. You know what happens? Is when we give ourselves fully to the Lord, when we remove the yeast from our life, when we desire to do exactly what He tells us to do, we become a distinct people. In a land where there are other things going on, somehow where God's people are, it doesn't look the same. It it doesn't impact us the same. There are flies. There's all this chaos that's swarming around us. But you know what happens in our life? We stay at peace. (laughs) Brother, you lost your job. Amen. These are the kind of things that could crush other men. But I stand here joyful. 
but you had this happen to you. Amen. He's with me. There's a distinction in my life. We are not at all saying that you will be free from adversity. We're saying that whether you had adversity or not, it doesn't matter. In your adversity, He'll be seen. When there is no adversity, He still should be seen in you. Turn the page. Um, Exodus 9, 4. But the Lord will make a what? But the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and that of Egypt, so that no animal belonging to the Israelites will die. He even cares about your animals. There's going to be such a distinction that even your possessions will hold up differently than what the people around you do. Exodus 11, verse 7. But among the Israelites, not a dog will bark at any man or animal. I, uh, my wife and I are a cares team, so it is normal for us to go out and make visits. We made some visits yesterday. We had some of the most unusually strange people. We had the guy with the don't tread on me sign on his car, a wooden plaque above his door. Well, it hung out just a little bit from his door to make sure that you would see it even if you didn't get all the way to the door. That said something to the effect of, there's nothing that I have in here that's worth losing your life over. (laughs) Hi there. Heidi ho, neighbor. We're here. We're the care team. Right? He came out and we started talking to him and he's like, hey, is this a church thing? By the way, not only do I love my church, but even more than me, I love my wife. And she said this. She was like, oh, we're a church thing. We do church. We love church. If you mean is cares a church thing? No, it's not. And he went, oh, okay. Just so there's a distinction here. We're absolutely church people. So if you're not going to like somebody, I was like, go ahead, baby. You'd have been running, I've been having to fight this dude, but you know. <laughs> glad I didn't have to. That's why I can say, go ahead, baby. <laughs> Some welder dude, man. I was like, whoa, calm down. <laughs> and <laughs> but among the Israelites, not a dog will bark or any, at any man or animal. That's an unusual thing. <laughs> we go knock on doors, and there are dogs that bark at us all day long. Sends, sends a whole house into a, a, a fury when we can... Ah! It, it would have had to have been the Lord if all these things were happening. But among the Israelites, not a, bo- not a dog will bark. That way you will know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. Even the small things will prove that God is with you. Chapter 12, same book, verse 23. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, He will see the blood on the top and the side to the doorframe and will pass over that doorway. And He will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down. How is it that, that you seem to come out unscathed? It's because we're under the blood. Man, death could be all around us and we can come out completely unscathed because of the blood that is at work. Turn to Ezekiel chapter 9. I say what? Skip that. Turn to Malachi, the last book in the Old Testament. 
Malachi chapter 3. And we're going to start in verse 14. This is going to be our final passage of Scripture that we read today. Malachi 3, the last book in the Old Testament, chapter 3, verse 14 says this, You have said, It is futile to serve God. What do we gain by carrying out His requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? But now we call the arrogant blessed. Certainly the evildoers prosper, and even those who challenge God escape. Okay, so what they're saying is not right. It's what I love about the Scripture. It's telling you exactly what the people are thinking. It's telling you exactly what they're saying. It's Scripture, brother. It is, and it's telling you how poorly they were thinking. Why do we have to be distinct? As a matter of fact, let's just call the arrogant blessed. Have you never read in the Psalms where it's like, Lord, we see these people and they are evil people and they seem to prosper? while your people sometimes struggle. Why is this? Why why is it that it appears that the more crooked you can be, the more highly you can rise in our generation? That you can be totally perverted and totally perverse and totally evil and rise to be have money beyond your wildest dreams. Why is that? You know what the Psalms say? Until I considered their end. But we now call the arrogant blessed. No, we don't as children of God. We don't call the arrogant blessed. It seems that's the way the world looks at it and goes, the more arrogant you are, the higher you rise. The nastier you are to people below you, the more power you amass. If I cheat you, I get your money, I take it to be with me. Is this not what our system is designed to be? The arrogant are blessed. We had a beautifully sweet Nigerian man come by the house the other day. And he kind of get a, did a quick, Jesus loves you and died for your sins. Okay, bye. And my wife was like, hey, come here. Come back. And he said, we said, are you from Nigeria? Oh, yes. We, we're used to, we're, we have many Nigerians in our neighborhood, so we're used to the accent. And he said, yes, I've come because your country needs to be in deep prayer because it is in trouble. And I am here to help evangelize your country. Wow. High five. Get missionaries from other countries coming here. I love it. Love it. We need it. Amen. Because we live in a land that says, we're going to call the arrogant blessed. We're going to call the unrighteous. Um, there's a certain music superstar that passed away this week. I don't even want to mention this person's name. Because this, if you, you would think that the man was... Some type of royalty. I amused myself on that one. <laughs> I just did that just for me. You would think that he was otherworldly in what he brought. We honor those because of all the exterior things, because of how they look, whether they're talented, whether they have money, and God forbid if they have all those things because we put them on a real high pedestal. But now we call the arrogant blessed. Certainly the evildoers prosper. Is this not what our 
You can argue that our political system is this. And even those who challenge God escape. People are just nasty. They say all kind of terrible things. How about we go to the next verse? And I want you to get this. This is where we're going to close today. Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other. Those who feared the Lord talked with each other. And the Lord listened and heard. Does it say that they were talking to the Lord? No. It says that they were talking to each other. That's like us talking to each other about how we can keep our way pure, about how we can be distinct. Lord, we're talking to each other and the Lord listens and He hears us. He not only can can perceive the vibrations of sound that are coming from our mouth, He understands and comprehends what we are saying and sees that our heart aligns with it. And it says this, a scroll of remembrance was written in His presence. Somebody make a note. Those people there at Life Changing Ministries are talking and I hear them and I'm listening to them. A scroll of remembrance was written in His presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored His name. They will be mine, says the Lord Almighty. In the day when I make up my treasured possession, I will spare them just as in compassion a man spares his son who serves him. And you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. Folks, this is the distinction that we have. In a world of fear, you know what we do? We're distinct because we act with faith. In a world that's used to finding excuses about the way you were raised or what happened to you or all those things in the past, we say, you can move past those things because of the power of Christ. Though those things may have happened to you, though they may have shaped you, they can no longer define you if you allow God to be at work in your life. We are of a different people. We are a different people. What does God need to do in your life today? Are you distinct? We're the people who say, no longer will our past define us, but our future in Christ is our new designation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. We are those who will ground ourselves so much in the Word that when we're speaking with each other, that God will hear us. He's eavesdropping. And he's taking into account what you and I say to each other. Then in the difficult parts, we're saying, God, you're to be honored. God, we fear you and you alone. Lord, we know that we have weaknesses, but we don't want to let those weaknesses define us. We know that we have yeast somewhere in here. Lord, would you help us define it? Would the light and the power of your Holy Spirit come in so that we can get rid of that and be a new batch without yeast as we're really designed to be? Lord, would you move in our lives in a way so that we are so distinct that we can be a peculiar people, a holy nation, a group of priests that are so called forth that even though we feel out of place, let me encourage you, you are out of place. It's supposed to feel that way. You're supposed to belong in a place like this, but when you go out, I never feel like I fit in. Ever. There's not one day that I'm like, yep, these are my people. I never fit in anywhere I go. Except for here. Except for in my home. Except for around the true believers. What I'm going to ask you to do is is this. In just a minute, we're going to stand.